Welcome to The Diving Pod. I'm Steve Foley. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I am Aaron Rooney. Yet again, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Video replay, most important pool and tool in diving. And we are proud to partner with the best in the business, Sideline Scout. Heath and I both use the easy-to-use Poolside Live. Uh, if you don't know what that is, please go check out their website. It's on nearly every single big pool deck. I know the University of Texas, Indiana University, everybody uses Poolside Live. It is phenomenal. Uh, for years, we've been looking for something like this uh, to replace the old systems, and this is clearly the best in the business. Uh, my favorite part of it, you don't rely on any school Wi-Fi. Uh, it, for me, for the high school setting, it's, it's tricky. You get a spotty connection. Sometimes those apps just don't work as well as they should. So Poolside Live is, is the best in the business, and uh, I encourage everybody to go online, sidelinescout.com, check it out, and um, get yourself a, a, a subscription. Awesome. Um, so we're kind of going to jump right in here, uh, Mr. Foley. So can you please let our listeners know a little bit about your background, where you're now, um, coaching, athlete journey? Just tell us how you got to where you are now. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a good journey, like everybody. You start somewhere. And I had uh, asthma as a kid. So uh, the doctor said, hey, go to the swimming pool. Good for the lungs. So uh, I got in the pool and decided the black line was very boring. Sorry, any swimmers listening. Um, but they had a diving pool, thankfully. And uh, I tried my hand at diving. Uh, that was really bad. It, I sucked. So I thought, well, we better go back to football. But uh, I, I kind of persevered. And um, eventually it all clicked, as it can do in sport. And uh, uh, yeah, became a, a pretty good athlete and diver. Represented Australia. Uh, retired. Uh, suddenly government funding got into sport and I'm like, wow, how do I get a piece of this now that I've retired? Um, and they said, hey, come and be a coach. So uh, it started my coaching career. This was in the, uh, the mid 80s. And I did that for ooh, 16, 17 years. And um, a great Britain came knocking and said, hey, we uh, need someone to help us. We're getting government funding and you've spent Australia's budget really well. Can you come and spend our money? And I love spending money. So I said, yeah, sure. So I uh, started up a consultancy with Great Britain and that morphed into a, a full-time role as a high performance director. And uh, then I think it was in Beijing Olympics, I had uh, a uh, secret meeting with uh, the president of USA Diving and uh, the USOC. Uh, they wined and dined me. Well, they dined me. They didn't want Pathetic on the wine, let me tell you. However, I uh, succumbed to their uh, pressure and um, moved over to the US in uh, early 09. So uh, I've sort of been doing a high-performance director role the last 20 years. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That's that's quite the resume there, you know, bouncing from one place to the next to the, I mean, and all the same at the highest level. That's, I mean, that's really cool. One of my questions here is, what is diving like in Australia? Here in the States, we have a, a, a good club scene from, for age group. We also have a high school scene. That's where I coach. Definitely a lesser um, avenue for the sport than the club programs. And then obviously NCAA and uh, some very few in the States elect to go professional. But what's the, what's the difference? What's it like in Australia? Yeah, uh, they're, they're vastly different. Um, Australia relies on government funding. Um, 
obviously that's great, but uh, I always wonder if you had a, a change of government and, and things were tight and you're in the trillion dollar deficits and um, they suddenly said, look, we're going to cut funding to sport. Um, so that's the, the risk, if you like, of being government funded. Um, and I think at the moment, it's very hard to get sponsorship. Um, obviously, with COVID and the climate and different things, it's just not easy. So we're very reliant on government funding, uh, not just federally, but even at a, a state level. Uh, you know, we have a Australian Institute of Sport, which is uh, where I launched my coaching career. And they fund sport in Australia, all sports or mainly the Olympic sports, but also other sports as in general. Um, and then you have the state institutes and they give scholarships to athletes a little bit like the college does, except, you know, you have to go and do your degree or work a job or whatever you have to do around your training. And uh, they provide, if you like, all the sports science and sports medicine uh, backup support for the athletes. So uh, you've got a bit of a partnership with the state institute, the, the national institute, all trying to help the uh, the national sporting organisation, and they employ awesome. a lot of the staff. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. So, so one question I have, you know, we have uh, Dan Lack here in the United States as our high performance director. So, can you maybe He's a good tell man, us? But don't tell him I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, can, can you tell us what does a high performance director do? Well, if you're good at it, nothing. You know, very little. <laughs> you leave it to the coaches and the athletes. Um, uh, look, I think a lot of it is uh, just putting plans together um, and, and a direction for the sport. It, um, you know, what's the pathway? How does a young aspiring athlete who may be very good at 12, 13, what's the pathway, not just to college, but uh, potentially the Olympic Games, which really is a dream of a lot of the young athletes and coaches. Um, so I suppose it's really putting a, a plan, a pathway into place, uh, organising strategic camps and which competitions we should attend, shouldn't attend. Um, and also, how do you support your, your coaches? Because uh, it's, it's very unique, isn't it, in the US? The, 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 most of the great coaches are employed by colleges. So therefore, USA Diving doesn't really have control of them. Uh, they have to do what the college wants them to. So now you've got to look at how can I link in and partner the college and, and the, the diving coach. And I think that'll be one of Dan's strengths because he was a college coach for so many years and, and he really understands the system. So I think that's a real coup for USA Diving that he can understand both aspects of it. One thing, Heath, just wanted to interject here. One thing that sparks my curiosity is is the difference you said between a government funded program like it is in Australia and then really not so much in in the United States what i i could be overgeneralizing here but i feel like as a country the olympics for all sports in the united states isn't quite as important as it is elsewhere am i on to something there can you explain how huge the olympics are in australia or if it's similar. Look, you're right, Aaron. I think really I noticed that difference when I went to the US from obviously Britain and Australia. Um, I guess really the government are funding the sport to get Olympic medals. That's your goal. And we're giving you this money. You better go and get some medals and show that you're, um, you're doing, doing well. Uh, and part of that, though, is that 
for a you know, we're big in landmass, but we're small in population. So it does a lot for the country's um, self belief, ethos, just feeling good about yourself as an Aussie, because you know that we don't have you have superstars everywhere you look in sport, absolutely everywhere you look. You know, like how many years was it that we we were so excited about Greg Norman? but no one else knew of any other Aussie golfer, but we knew of 400 US golfers. And yep. so if someone does well in Australia internationally, it, it's, it's fantastic. It's a really big thing for the country, like Asparty winning Wimbledon. Uh, you know, yeah. that, those little things are massive. Um, whereas in the US, you have people that are winning just so many things regularly all the time doing a, a, crazy things that it, it's the norm. You know, everyone expects uh, Serena Williams to win or, well, LeBron James are going to lead the Lakers. And it's sort of, it's so common for US to be successful. And I really liked that when I was over there because it rubbed off on me. Like, you know, we want to be successful. But the Olympics was, you know, a a young athlete, a diver in particular, if they can get a, a scholarship, uh, Mum and Dad are going to help push them towards that because, well, look at the money they can save as well and get a, an education, still do their sport. But if they don't go to the Olympics, it's no big deal sort of thing. Whereas uh, I think in Australia and Britain and other government-funded countries, it, it's more of a goal, if you like. Sure. I, I'm glad you mentioned some some golf too because Adam Scott and Jason Day, both Australians, both tremendous in the sport. And, and anytime they're in contention – you hear those Aussie, Aussie, Aussies. And it's like, this is, it's a different level of excitement at those levels. I just feel like as a country, everybody rallies around their superstars. Like you said, there might not be as many and there it's like, okay, here's our guys. Like, let's just, the whole country rallies around just those. It's, it's unbelievable. It's really cool. That's a good point. Um, I think we need a new chant though. I'm getting sick of that Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> That's all. Um, you know, just to touch on something you had mentioned, and it's something that Aaron and I talk about all the time. You had mentioned how, like, that that expectation of winning in the United States, and you said it kind of rubbed off on you. You know, what do you think that – how did that help you going back to Australia? What, did, what were you able to take from your position with USA Diving and then take back to Australia that has really helped? Yeah, uh, good good question, Heath, because, um, you know, I grew up in a culture in, in Australia where, you know, I made Olympic finals and it was almost, gosh, we better have a national holiday. That's amazing. You know, but uh, 20 years later, government funding and, and suddenly Australia won a few diving medals and now they regularly win Olympic diving medals. Um, but I, I think in Australia, there's still that little bit of, not not self-belief enough you know there's still that little bit of whether you call it an inferiority complex or something or the you know there's definitely not that there's the inner belief but people are if you like a bit more quiet about except for that uh, great swimming coach of ours I don't know if you saw him on Tokyo running around (laughs) and for a minute I thought hello he's been living in the US because (laughs) That's the sort of thing you do, and people embrace it and love it. And I bet people in the US thought it was fantastic. I loved it. Well, well, in Australia, they just 
bagged the absolute crap out of him, you know, because, you know, that's not the done thing in Australia a little bit. But it's creeping into our sport, which I think is good. And that's what I've sort of tried to bring back and, and get our athletes to embrace that there's nothing wrong with winning, you know, or, or being a little bit self-assured and arrogant. Um, you know, that, that's all part of it. You should believe in yourself. So I, I think I've tried to just bring that little bit back of um, perhaps it's just one word, attitude. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. Um, so, so my next question is, you know, you've had, you know, Aaron kind of touched on it slightly. You've had an amazing journey through this sport of diving and it has led you across the world, literally. You know, what have you been able to take? You know, you started as an athlete and coach in Australia, transitioned to Great Britain, then America, now back to Australia, kind of coming full circle. What are things you've picked up along the way and what differences do you see between those three countries? Oh, yes. Um, That's a tough one in the sense that there's also a lot of similarities. Um, And that is really, you're doing this for the athlete and and then helping the coaches, you know, and if you keep the athlete in mind, I I think you'll be successful no matter what you do, because I, I look at it simplistic in all those countries, and I still do now, the athlete's actually my employer, because if we don't have any athletes, I don't have a job. Yep. So, you know, I should then pay attention to what they've got to say and their coaches um, because that's their livelihood trying to you know, get the best out of them. So, so from that perspective, I see that similarity wherever you go, Australia, England, Russia, probably it's the same, you know. So it, keeping that in mind, then you've got a lot of similarities. Now, the sporting systems are very different. Yep. And I... I can look back a little bit now and say, I'm, I'm pleased that I was adapt, uh, adaptable, you know, rather than going in and saying, oh, hang on, we don't do it like that in Australia. This is dog shit. This is how you do it. You know, uh, you, you, you can't do that. You've got to embrace whatever's in place. And then how do you make it better? But it'd be silly just to blow it up because, hang on, something must have been working here because, um, okay, now we had the system in place when Tom Daly came along, but he just came along. It wasn't like this incredible, we're throwing the rod in the pool and pulling out talent. It, he just sort of came across also watching a bit of diving from the swimming pool end. Um, you know, so you get lucky as well. Um, yeah. But the, the thing in, in Great Britain, when I arrived, they, the, the city councils actually employed the diving coach. And they called them diving development officers. And what they did is they said, right, we're going to pay you a salary for two years and you have to make your position self-sufficient. So that meant they had to bring in lots of divers to pay their way. Um, And that's a brilliant thing because then what does it do? It creates a bigger base. Um, And so I actually liked it. I said, well, isn't this good? Plus, we don't have to employ the coach. Yeah. We don't have the budget anyway, <laughs> you know, and and then of course US with the college system, same thing. You don't have to pay the coach; the, the colleges are doing that for you. Now in Australia, you know, we, we've got a pretty decent budget, but half of it goes to salaries because we employ, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, nearly ten coaches, you know, so that puts a big hole in the budget. So there's some of the little differences that that I found were very different, but. 
you know, I tried to embrace the, the US college system and I tried to embrace the, the yeah. city council development. And then obviously, as you go along, you tweak things and try and hopefully make it better. Sure. Right. So <clears throat> I've noticed this big shift in men's diving in the past, you know, let's just say 10 years, where everybody's throwing the hardest tricks they can possibly throw and figuring it out how to finish them well. What do you see for the next five to 10 years? for both the men and the women's side. I, I, I feel like we're on this verge of the women just absolutely blowing the doors off of everything. You know, their elegance and grace has always been there, but now we're starting to see females do double out. Females do front three and a half pike. We're starting to see some of these big dives. Can you talk about, you know, what you see coming in the next five to 10 years, both men and women? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing, Aaron, because... Um... I don't know. I would have said 10 years ago, oh, I think they've hit the plateau. You know, well, <laughs> what do I know, right? Um, <laughs> unbelievable. You know, four and a half was just starting to happen and not many could do them, let alone on springboard. Like David Badiah did four and a half in Beijing in 08 and he was the only one on 10 metre. You know, now if you haven't got it, you won't make the final. Right. Uh, you know, and do it for eights or better. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, young Gian does a front four and a half pike and it doesn't even look hard. You're like, what is that about? You know, <laughs> give me a break. You know, I used to think a front one and a half pike was a good effort. So, it, but it was on a wooden board. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so where it's going to is a real interesting question. I, I think men's in a way has plateaued a little bit. I mean, we may see some more inward four and a halves maybe, or a few people try some more front four and a half pikes. But I think what you're going to find is it's a very special build type person that can do it. So I'm not sure there'll be a, a plethora of people doing some of those tricks. But you're right about the women. Um, goodness me. Um, they're just scratching the surface. Uh, we had a, an Aussie girl two years ago before COVID and she got injured. She was doing reverse three and a half on, on a three metre, Madison Keeney. Yeah. And, and she was doing it for sevens or better and she's only just <laughs> learning it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm glad I'm retired. <laughs> um, so so it's, it's, I think we'll see a lot more of those. I do think reverse three and a half will become more common. The double out, as you say, that'll, that'll be almost standard by the time LA Olympics come. Yep. Um, and the fact that we saw Krista and Allison do it in synchro, you know, it was the first time ever. Well, yeah, it, it's going to keep happening and evolving. So... Yep. I do, and I think some inward three and a half. So I can see some women doing inward three and a half. Um, I, I still think the front four and a half and, and back three and a half for a, for a female dive is going to be pretty tough. But you never say never, that's for sure. Yep. And um, yeah, I, again, Tower's an interesting one. I do think we'll see perhaps a front four and a half um, from the female divers up there. I have seen one many years ago. It was actually in Puerto Rico and it was a young Japanese girl. And she did actually dive uh, in the Olympics, but she didn't use it. So I was very disappointed. Come on. Come on. It's funny, your home crowd. Oh, that's right. There weren't any crowds. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a funny scenario. But I do think it's going to keep building. The other thing that might happen, and I'm not sure, but there is talk of trying to get more events into the diving program to, to, to increase the, the number of medals. And they've always talked about mixed synchro for about the last six, seven years. Could happen. I do think the team event is very realistic. Mm. Um, 
and I actually think that could be very exciting. But for me, if it's going to be a team event, it shouldn't just be one male and one female. You know, a bit like gymnastics in the team event, it, it almost incorporates all of them. So obviously you can't have, you know, a team of 12 in one team, but I'd like to see it at least have two to three men and women in the team event and you could do more dives, it doesn't matter. Um, the other thing, whether it ever happens is, I don't know, five metre springboard competition. Wouldn't Ooh, that that'd be cool. Hey, wouldn't that be something? I, at least I could make a pike list. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so who knows where it's going? It's going to be fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I uh, that's oh man, you just got my brain rattled with that thought. Five meter <laughs> springboard, that'd be wild. Um, so the next question I have for you, and before I ask it, I have to tell you that two of my favorite divers recently to watch are Madison Keeney on the women's side, yep. and someone that I've liked watching since I've been in high school is Melissa Wu. She has been someone I've loved watching since I've been in high school. I remember telling Aaron about her before the Olympics. And I said, I just really want to see her get a medal. And so it was, yeah. it was pretty exciting. And I remember Aaron was sitting in my house when we were watching, he goes, Hey, didn't you say you wanted to see her get a medal? And I'm like, yeah, but um, who are your favorite divers to watch? Well, you know, taking my Aussie hat, hat <laughs> off, obviously uh, being unbiased, but uh, look, they are two very exciting divers to watch. No yeah. question. Um, you know, I, I, I loved watching Krista Palmer years ago when I was over there and watching her develop. And, you know, even in the early stages, six, seven years ago, she was working on a double out. Um, and, and I, I she's got power, but also grace and beauty in her diving. It's a very classy interaction. So I really enjoy watching Krista. And Delaney Snell's another one. Um, just, wow, what a competitor, but her form, her toe point, that should be banned. You're not allowed to have toes point that way. That's just phenomenal. Um, I, I always like Jack Law. I mean, the way he attacks his dives on springboard, the power he gets off the board. I mean, he makes a back three and a half look like it's nothing, doesn't he? It's just phenomenal. Um, it, it, I, I really, his diving is exciting and explosive. I love it. Uh, I, I love David Badiah. He he was just on 10 metre, elegant. He, he made a back three and a half pipe look like it was soup. It was just smooth and flowing, wasn't it? It was, it was terrific. Um, and, but um, I tell you what, though, uh, how good was that men's platform in Tokyo? There was a 15-year-old boy from the Ukraine, right? Alexei Sereda. Uh, this kid is going to be a phenomenon. He already is pretty damn good. Yeah. But then there was the little uh, Japanese guy, uh, Rikuto Tame, I think his name was. He's doing, he was 14 and he's doing the complete lifts, front four and a half, back three and a half pike, back two and a half, two and a half, and his twisting action was superb. And so I'm just like, wow, this is that next generation coming yeah. through. And yeah, so it's pretty exciting. But how do you go past what um, uh, Hong Chan Huan did of the women's 10 meter mic? Goodness me, that's that's a rester. That isn't allowed. You know. <laughs> I I worked it out. I think it was 93 points per dive she averaged. Uh, three of the dives were perfect tens out of five. So so we worked it out. If she did straight tens on all the dives, she would have scored 477. She scored 466. Um, oh. Give me a break. And you ready for this? This is this is rude. If you're a chauvinist pig, you're, this is rude. 
If she'd done an extra dive and got her average of 93, she would have beaten Tom Daly for the bronze on the men's. <laughs> on the men's side. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that, I mean, it just puts in perspective how amazing she was. It yeah. really is phenomenal. I mean, it's like a, um, uh, I, I don't know, a Usain Bolt type thing. It was a world record. It was just, it was phenomenal. And it may not quite get the accolades it deserves, but it was. I've never seen anything like it. What do you what do you make of the fact that the women do one less dive? You know, I we have said a couple of times they're fully capable of doing the same list. So why is that, and and why has it stayed the same? Tradition, um, too many, too many of the lesser powerful diving nations voting against it. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, like uh, you're quite right, and because you guys do it in the NCAA's, um, and we've we've done it in some fun competitions where you've got to do six dives. But uh, you know, if you perhaps a Switzerland and a Sweden and a Norway and some of these other lesser countries, they're going to say no, look, we can't do that. We don't have the skill or the depth or whatever. So, I, I would say that's one of the reasons why it, it would be hard to get it voted through. Sure. But I, I like the idea. I agree. You know, they're, they're they're more than capable. Yeah. So the next one I had here was uh, what's a technique skill that you coach or uh, that you feel that you excel at and um, how can, how can that be implemented in everybody else's techniques? Well, nothing. That's why I became a high performance director. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, for some reason, I was always really good at understanding twisting mechanics and, and, and twisting dives. And I could always teach my athletes very good, uh, twisting dives, uh, twist mechanics. But I think also, and it is, it's a real different uh, scenario now because, you know, back when I dived uh, and just retiring, they were bringing in a back one and a half with three and a half twists and a reverse one and a half with three and a half twists. And, and the reason so many people struggled with it or would check around the corner and couldn't square the dive off was because they had too much somersault. And it, it was just, for some reason, I could pick it up and help them with that transition. Now, obviously, it's a bit different now where it's a back two and a half with two and a half twists. So, you know, they've got to have some somersault power, but you still have to ensure where they're starting the twist. So for some reason, I was just always pretty good at twisting dives. And it's still now when you think of the back arm stand twist, especially mm -hmm. in, the, in the women's um, back double one and a half twist. So many are out of control. They're just way over on their back they can't stop it and it's just a case of they've just fallen too far created too much somersault um but it's hard a really good twister like that should be should feel slightly stuck yeah. and and uh, i think a lot of the times it's just it isn't it's not stuck you know so if they can get that skill right it improves so for me it was it was just twisting for some reason probably because i'm slightly twisted in the head i don't know <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, so I think I, I've tried to ask this question when applicable for us in the States about athletes that dove at a particular college and now they're back coaching. So that's, that's the situation I'm in. I was an alumni from Clarion and now I coach back there. So for you, what was it like being a top diver for your country? And now, you know, and then you went on to become a coach and now you're the high performance director, you know, did you feel any pressure along that way? And, and what are some of the, the things that you battled through or the things you dealt with 
in assuming that role as more of a mentor and coach as opposed to being the athlete? Yeah, look, um, I think when you make the transition, which you would have found out, you go from an athlete to a coach, suddenly it's out of your control. And when you're an athlete, it's kind of in your control. Suddenly you're coaching five or six people and you've just got no idea, have you really? You're sort of praying, oh, please do a good dive, make me look good, come on. Um, it, it's such a different scenario. Um, and that took me a while to adjust, you know, just realising, okay, have faith in them, believe in them, have confidence. But, it, yeah, it's a, it's a real, when you make that first transition, that that's a big thing, isn't it? That You just notice it straight away. You're like, oh, my goodness. Um, so it takes you a while, even as a coach, to, to relax. And that's why you see some coaches sort of jumping around the pool deck and they're excited because part of it is it's out of their control. And, you know, and then when they nail it, they just lose all emotion. It's fantastic. You know, it's a great feeling. Um, <clears throat> and then I think when you go to high performance director, one of the pitfalls is pretending you know it all and this is how we got to do it. You, you know, I, I think by moving countries, it helped me because the first thing I, I spend nearly a year on is listening, trying to find out um, what, what are your issues? Heath, Aaron, what, what, as a coach, what, what's the problems you face or what, what are we not doing at the top level to, to help you or make it better? So you have to listen and learn. You're not going to be able to change everything. And there are times you just say, look, sorry, mate, can't help you. That's just how it goes. But I think if, if you haven't at least given people the chance to express their opinions, and let's face it, um, a lot of the time, you know, you guys are going to have a great opinion that I'll go, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Thanks. I think I'll use that. You know, so it's, it, I think that's really important as you go forward because at the end of the day, you know, I get to sit up in the stands in the Olympic Games and I let the coach and the athlete um, do the war games. You know, they're, they're on the battlefield. So I think if you're going to be a good high performance director, sometimes you just got to get out of the way. Makes perfect I'm glad sense. Uh, I'm glad you said what you did about you know the transition from an athlete to a coach and the, and for lack of a better word the nerves that go along with it the, the lack of control I still struggle with that and and yeah. you know I I see either a good dive or a bad dive and no matter what it's so wrong of me to do but I put that on my shoulders like you know what I didn't prepare them well enough well sometimes Aaron it's just not the dive that you <laughs> saw in practice and that's okay. But you know what? That's also why you're a great coach because you're passionate. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate Absol that. Absolutely. So we're going to get into our signature questions here. Um, oh. my, fav my, my, my favorite, uh, favorite signature question is what is your favorite failure or your best learning experience? You know, something that didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. And, and, you know, I, I like, using the word failure you simply because if you have a failed dive you learned how not to do it right you're always learning you're always learning something so what is your favorite uh, favorite failure best learning experience well um <laughs> too numerous to mention but um no i'm a bit like you though you know failing is a good thing because that's how you become successful you you, you learn from it when if you're really good you, you haven't learned much have you really so um but I, I do remember, and it, it was in my mind forever, I was about probably only 14 years of age, 
and I'd started doing trampolining um, to uh, complement my diving, which needed a heck of a lot of compliments. And I was on the 10 metre, it was the state championships in Melbourne, and it was on TV, live TV, which was pretty rare back in the 70s. And I was doing a, a back um, one and a half with a half twist in the, in the, back in those days, the required limit dive, 7.6, you know. And um, I'd also been trampolining the day before and doing back somersaults, full twists. So you can see where I'm going, can't you? I got up on 10 metre. <laughs> yes, it's true, sports fans. I did a back somersault with a full twist, checked out perfectly looking at the 10 metre going, I shouldn't be there. Bang, beautiful backdrop. <laughs> Absolute ripper. Live TV. Hello, fans. Thank you. I'm Steve Foley. I'm here all week. And, um, yeah, needless to say, it was a failed dive. Um, so uh, I kind of learned from that experience. The worst thing was, as you know, it didn't hurt at the time. You're just embarrassed. You're absolutely embarrassed. And, you know, I'm just thinking you can imagine the commentator like, well, we probably won't see him again. And, you know, let's go to a commercial break. Oh, my goodness. But then again, it probably added to the excitement for the viewers. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I certainly learned a lot there. And that was don't do trampolining the day before you die. Um, but, but that was a, a – you know what, though? My next dive, I, I – Digressed, I went and got seven and a half eights on it. I don't know, it was a back dive or something. But um, so that, I, that taught me something, how to bounce back. And I think as a, an athlete and a diver, that's really important. Because um, what we do forget, don't we? we? We think it's just a competition, but it's not actually. In the men's and the women's do five, it's six competitions. You know, you're trying to beat everyone on that each dive. So it's, it, it is six competitions. So even if something goes wrong in one of those, dives and I often tell the athletes the chances are especially in a preliminary contest just about everyone's going to miss a dive yep. so you've had your miss go and do a good one now and it's amazing what happened we've all seen it haven't we it's like oh my god they've dropped back into 19th place and not going to make the final and then there's six mishaps and before you know it, you're sitting in ninth um and so I, I think that was a lesson I learned once I did this failed dive that I had the ability within me to come back and, and do a good dive. Um, so that taught me a lot about myself, if you like, that, you know, that you dug deep, you, you know, you just embarrassed yourself on national TV, but you came <laughs> back with one of your best dives. So uh, that, it, it's a lesson there, I guess, if that makes sense. Yep. yep that's exactly what we were looking for. That's, yep. that's awesome. Um, so my next signature question, typically, if we'll interview somebody within USA Diving, we'll say, hey, what can we do as a country to improve? So you being high performance director in Australia, what do you think Australia can do uh, in terms of improvement uh, on the world scale? Well, if people could get vaccinated so I can travel, again, <laughs> that'd help a lot. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, no, look... We're lagging behind, put it that way. So, as you know, our borders have been shut and we couldn't even go to the World Cup last year to, to try and qualify for the synchro. So that was, that was pretty tough. But that's, that's how it goes. It is a global pandemic. But um, enough of my soapbox. Um, you know, Australia needs to grow its base. I think that's the trouble is you're getting so much government funding and it's so about, it's become too much result focused, right? 
Um, you know, and I say, look, I'm not called a, a high results director. I'm called a high performance. And that's all I'm interested in. Go and perform to the best of your ability. I don't care if you come 28th. What a great, what, what a great thing for yourself, you know, uh, just performing well. Uh, the, the medals are just a little bonus. Um, but Australia really, you know, like men's platform, I think we had four in our Olympic trial. And... Um, we got one, Cassiel Rousseau, who finished eighth at the Olympics. If he got injured, we'd be struggling, you know, to to really replace him in that position and or even get a synchro team. So I do think that's one of our biggest uh, gaps at the moment is uh, lack of lack of depth. We haven't got the number, we haven't got the base, and that's one of the terrific things about USA diving is uh, your membership. You know, it, it's terrific, and. Um, yeah, I, I think that's where we're losing it. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, you know, you talked about uh, twisting is something that kind of came easy to you as a coach. You know, can you give our listeners maybe what whatever your favorite drill to do as a coach with your athletes was? <clears throat> oh, golly. Jeez, you're taking me back here now, Heath. <laughs> Goodness me. I have trouble remembering yesterday. Um. You know, I, I loved using the, the trampoline um, for basic twist skills um, without a belt, uh, where you'd you know, do a flat backdrop. We used to call it a coffin drop, but do a flat backdrop. And and it, and you'd find out, that the athlete would work out which way they wanted to twist automatically by themselves. You know, often if you're right-handed, you'll, you'll twist left. Um but there's always those exceptions. But um, it was also a good way to see if they were actually perhaps twisting the wrong way. Um, and you just get them to do a full twist round to their back. And another drill was to do a, a front three-quarter somersault onto your back and then you know, wrap into a twist, get to your feet sort of thing. Um, so I, I just really enjoyed those simple twisting skills on the trampoline. But they actually... As a coach, it taught you a lot because, as I said, you could actually identify straight away that, oh, boy, I think they're twisting the wrong way. And then you say, hey, why don't you try the other way? And it was really interesting uh, what would happen. Yep. So, um, and the other skills I did like, believe it or not, was plyometrics. I, I really enjoyed because uh, you can really mix it up. You can do some really adventurous things and, and experiment with different athletes and, and um just make sure you got good mats and preferably a sprung floor helps actually because you yeah. don't want too much shin splints. But um, yeah, I, I sort of implemented a little bit in, in um, British diving when I was there and we even put a little DVD together for the coaches and uh, and they tell me they still use it a little bit now, uh, but I think to play Frisbee rather than you know, playing it. To, but look, it's, um, it, yeah, it, I, I just think as a coach, uh, be inventive. Yeah, yeah, it's great fun, but most importantly, try and mix it up a little bit. If it yeah. gets a bit too monotonous, uh, it'll get monotonous for you as a coach as well. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. It's funny you mentioned the, uh, you know, front three and a quarter and then snap to your feet. I've actually been having one of my female athletes do that, and I've seen her front full twisting one and a half and front one and a half with two twists start to get together, and I'm like, huh, like just letting her play a little bit has been so beneficial. Um, so oh, well, send the, send the check in the mail. That's terrific. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so what is the best advice you have either given or received throughout your career? 
I don't know if I've given any, <laughs> but I've, I've received plenty, I can tell you. But um, you, you know what? It, and it's really simplistic. Uh, one of my first uh, international meets as a, as a young man uh, back in 19... 19- <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll hide what year that was. But I, I went actually to um, England and dived in Germany and um, ended up at the Dutch Nationals, the Dutch Championships. <clears throat> And, you know, I was, I'm fairly tall for a diver, just about not quite 6'1 at the time. Uh, but I've got very long legs and, and arms. That's not what you want as a diver, is it? As you know, sorry, Aaron, it's no good, is it? Makes That's me too. Hard. You're, you're <laughs> exactly speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, goodness me, pikes were impossible. Um, and the Dutch coach... Uh, knowing I was within earshot talking to my father, he says, Mr. Foley, I admire your son's uh, effort. He's a determined young man, but he's never going to make it with those long legs and long arms. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember thinking to myself, I'll show you, and I won't tell you the rest of the sentence, you nice person, but... You know, and, and two years later, I made the Olympic Games in 76 in Montreal. And he was there and he came up to me and he actually said, oh, well, you proved me wrong. That's cool. And um, so it was kind of cool, you know, but I, I suppose it, it's not so much advice. He's probably right. I should have quit. But uh, those little things um, can fuel an athlete and it's a great thing that, you know, and, and, you know, as a coach, sometimes you've got to go to your reverse psychology bag and, and, and say a few things like that, even though, you know, you don't necessarily mean it, but you're trying to push them through the next uh, barrier. So in a way I can thank him for expediting my career. That, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. So, and then uh, um, my last question for you today is, who would you like to hear us interview next? Who do you think would be a good interview for us in the future? Oh, whoa, whoa, that's a great one. <laughs> um, look, I mean, if you can, Tom Daly, uh, it's just a, he's a wonderful young man, but what a, just an amazing career because, I mean, let's face it, he's, he's the first millionaire in our sport. Um, you know, and so how did he, he deal with all that scrutiny? Uh, you know, I was there when he was a young man and um, yeah, he went to Beijing Olympics at 14 and I had to just protect him and because everyone wanted to interview him, this young boy at 14. And, you know, how he dealt with all the, the pressures, expectations, the failure of Rio and bouncing back and getting a gold in the synchro in, uh, in Tokyo. Not to mention, you know, when he was, what, 16, I think he lost his father and became the sort of head of the family. So, I mean, I, I really admire people like that who, who deal with so much expectation and adversity and they haven't changed one iota. They're just still a really nice person. So if you could, um, you know, that would be wonderful because it would just be a real interesting, fascinating yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll keep trying. We keep sending them messages. Eventually, one yeah. of them is going to get through. So no, It is hard. I'll, I'll have a word to him for you. But, um, 
Yeah, it, it, look, it is tough. He's in demand, yep. as you know, but certainly yep. it's a great story. But another one that's interesting would, would be Jack Law and perhaps even potentially yep. slightly easier to get. And dare I say it, your favourite, Melissa Wu. <laughs> we'll have to, I think I've sent her a message on Instagram and we haven't heard back, so we're just going to keep trying. All right. Well, uh, now that I've met you two, I can warn her off. Tell her not to. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't blame, I don't blame you. <laughs> that's awesome 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 yeah well before we go here i just uh number one wanted to say thank you i've kind of been grinning yeah. ear to ear this yes. was super fun you know he's you're cracking jokes you're uh you're you're tall and lanky like i was <laughs> as a diver so i can uh i can relate to that i just appreciate you coming on this was this was pretty dang awesome i didn't know a whole lot about you before this and the journey itself you're is lucky. amazing and and, <laughs> and all the good stuff so uh, anybody else out there listening on Instagram, hit us up. We are at the diving pod. Our Gmail, of course, is the diving pod at gmail.com. Uh, go to Cowling Robards. If you want a t-shirt and hoodie, enter dive pod at checkout. That's, uh, that's me covering your shipping. So no shipping charge to you. We will make sure we get, uh, Mr. Foley a shirt all the way over to the wonderful Australia. We'll just, uh, get some more contact information offline here, but, uh, You're thanks probably, again. Um... The t-shirt will probably have to quarantine for two weeks. Okay, we'll, we'll make that happen. I won't let it touch human hands. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Aaron and Heath. Uh, enjoyed it immensely. And um, uh, to all the USA diving uh, people out there, keep up the great work. Miss all of you. Got a lot of good friends and uh, had a fantastic time. And look forward to seeing you in, uh, well, in sunny Paris and two years and nine months yeah there we no go time. all right yeah. see you next time